All right, boys and girls, look, I want y'all to come down here for just a minute. I need you to help me out. Look, it's very important. I've kind of got this all shifted to get around a little bit today so y'all can help me. <clears throat> and actually, I think whenever y'all help me, it maybe helps some of these older folks that don't listen too good as well. You know, they might, uh, they might learn some stuff too. So um, today, I need you to help me in two ways. Do you think y'all can do that? All right, don't everybody jump at once, all right? Yeah, all right, so I got two things I need you to help me with. I'm, I'm just going to say you're consenting to this, even though you're just nervous, all right? The first thing is, Mr. Josh has got, when we leave here, he's going to give you um, some of these coloring pages. Now, you remember last year, um, y'all colored these, these, these Christmas pictures and stuff like that, and then Mr. Todd and some of the youth took them over to some of the nursing homes. And, man, it was awesome. A lot of the patients, look, they... They loved getting those color pictures from so many of y'all. So I need y'all to, to take one of those, and you can try to color it in here if you can. He's got some clipboards back there. But you can take one or two of them, and you can bring them back this next week. I want you to, to do your best. Try to color in the lines if you can. That's it, okay if you don't. They'll be, they'll, they'll be very forgiving if you don't. But look, this is a way for you to help minister to someone that's going to get a picture that you colored for them and they're going to say, man, I don't even know them. But they did something sweet and nice for me. So that, that's the first thing and the most important thing that y'all can do to help, okay? Will y'all do that for me? All right, good deal. The second thing is I'm going to have a, a, a one or two points today, if you can listen while you're coloring, that are going to really help you, okay? I mean, that, you know, sometimes it's, it may not necessarily always apply just to you or your, but there's going to be some things that will really help you, okay? Because in life, has anybody ever... Um, has anybody ever criticized? Do you know anyone know what the word criticize means? Does any of y'all know what word you know what it means, Luke? What about you, Morgan? What does it mean to be criticized? She's stage fright's got Miss Morgan. I know she knows the answer. Believe me. So, does anybody else? Does anybody know what it means to be criticized? Okay, do your best. What, what do you think? Look, I, I, I know how hard it is to explain. Believe me, I got to do this every Sunday, every Sunday. All right, what does it mean to somebody? What, what, what if Mason criticizes you? What, what would that mean? I know he never would, you know what I'm saying? Because older brothers never do anything like that. But, but if he did, what would it mean if he criticized you? Oh, man, this is the quietest I've ever heard this bunch. Is any okay, Carson? Do you know what it means to get criticized? Look, this is a positive bunch right here, huh? <laughs> to get criticized is whenever somebody talks, they don't like what you're doing, right? They say something negative about you, the way you did something, the way you sound, the way you colored, the way you preached, the way you picked up your room, whatever. So, so criticism is whenever someone kind of speaks negative about what you're doing, okay? Now, in life, are there people who speak negative about what we're doing sometimes? They're critical, right? They're not necessarily positive. They don't agree with us, and they're critical of it. And how we respond to that criticism determines a whole lot about the outcomes. And so we're going to look today, when you're, when you're coloring, you can just listen. Okay? Um, somebody who is very important in the Bible. Do y'all remember, um, uh, he, he was a disciple. See if any of y'all can help me with this. Not, not y'all out here, okay? All right. He, um, I think that he walked on water. You, who was it? Ah, now see, he got me, didn't he? He was Jesus. Jesus did walk on water, but it was a disciple who walked on water with Peter. Jesus. Who was it? Peter. 
Peter. Okay, you're right. So Peter. So the story um, today is about Peter, and he was criticized for something, okay? Now, you would think that a preacher, somebody who was Jesus' right-hand man, wouldn't get criticized, but he got criticized. But we're going to look at how he handled it and how some really good things came about. And that's important because sometimes good things can come from criticism, okay? It doesn't mean that what they're saying is right, but it's how we respond to it, okay? And so as y'all walk back, Mr. Josh has got those ready for you. Let me say a little quick prayer for you, okay? Because as we think about Thanksgiving, this week, right before you eat that turkey, right before you eat that ham or that dressing, or that pecan pie, or whatever it is you're going to have. All right, look, right before that prayer, I want you to remember Pastor Jason saying, I need to say two things I'm thankful for right before that prayer. So I want you to be thinking about it, and I'm gonna, when I see you all next Sunday, I'm not going to do it in front of everybody because I know that's kind of scary. I'm going to be looking for you, and I'm going to say, hey, what two things were you thankful for? Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for these boys and girls. Thank you for what they bring to our lives. I pray that you would watch over them, that your favor and blessing would be upon them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all go find Mr. Josh. He's got that for you. All righty. If you have your Bible, Acts. That wasn't surprising, was it? Chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now, if you haven't been here or you and you haven't been watching, you know or you won't know that we are in the middle of a study on the book of Acts. We've been going through this verse by verse, all right? And some of you are saying, you're telling me. But hopefully as we look at this, we're going to be getting to some places where we'll be able to cover some larger texts and we'll be able to move through this um, quickly. As always, though, I want us to ask ourselves today, what is God trying to speak to me? And I think... Matter of fact, more often than think, I know that if, that if you'll just pay attention today, there's something in here that will help you unbelievably in your life, okay? Now, we know that what's happening here over the last couple of weeks, the, the text of the story has been when Peter connects with Cornelius, who was the Roman centurion, and it was the beginning of the Gentiles becoming Christians. Now, this is a really, really big deal, okay? And I, and I want you to understand how big a deal it is because up until this point, the Gentiles had never been included in the chosen people of God. And Judaism had grown from the very beginning. There had been many different sects of Judaism and offshoots of Judaism, but with Christianity, God ushers in this new way, this new covenant, if you will. And so, so this is a very, very important time in the development of God's story to reach humanity. Now, one little side note that you may not have thought about, but this is how the Bible, if we really study it, helps us. So we, when we write a document, what do we do today? I mean, we might take a piece of paper and we write a document out. And we have plenty of paper. But more than likely, we're not even going to use paper anymore. What are we going to do? We're going to get on a word processor, and we're going to type it out. Have any of you tried to type a letter or write a letter, and you write a bunch, and you're like, oh, I don't want to say that, and then you erase it, and you start over? Well, imagine in Luke's time, the writer of Acts. Writing something out was a big deal. It wasn't like they had paper. The printing press was not invented. When something was written out, it was written out on papyrus, and you didn't have a whole bunch of paper. So you thought out 
and you weighed out everything that you were going to be writing. Now, we know that the Bible is inspired, so it's not just Luke who's just kind of writing it as a letter. No, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he writes it. So, I mean, it's, it's doubly important. And if you'll notice one thing about the story as we look in chapter 11, for the third time, Peter repeats the story of how Cornelius and his crew come to Christ by telling, retelling, and telling again of the dream that he has whenever the sheet comes down and all the different animals. Why? Because this is very, very important. The Jewish people who had really kind of been the keys to God's kingdom had been taught for generations to exclude Gentiles. And now God is ushering in a new covenant. And so it, it takes some emphasis and it takes some repetition. Now, boys and girls, real quick, this is a little side point for you. When your parents or when your teachers or your grandparents repeat something over and over and over again, why are they doing that? Because they want you to get it, to emphasize it. And oftentimes in the Bible, there's a repetition for emphasis so that we will really get it. Imagine, if you will, what would have happened if this new message of Jesus had become nothing more than just another sect of Judaism. God's redemptive plan would have had to work differently, okay? So no, this is important. And Luke is just wanting to emphasize how important it is. So we see here that he repeats it again in the occasion of Peter coming back to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to read the entire text for you, but I want to read, first of all, to get started, verses 1 through 4 or 1 through 3 in chapter 11. It says... Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. That was what? Whenever Peter went and told them the message of Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. They spoke in other languages and other tongues, and then they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So, so this was the news that reached the apostles and the other believers. Now look, throughout history, they didn't have to have Facebook. They didn't have to have a newspaper. Soon the news travels. You don't have to worry about that. News always travels. And just in like it does in our day, in that day, soon the news got back to the folks who were in Judea that the Gentiles received the word of God. Before he arrived, news got there. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. And that's what I was talking to my boys and girls about. So, so Peter makes it back to Jerusalem after this extended mission trip. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, what all takes place on this mission trip? Remember, he goes all the way up into the little bit to the northern region. There was a guy named Aeneas. Remember what happened to him? He had been crippled. He was healed on this mission trip. Remember Dorcas or Tabitha? What happened to her on the mission trip? She got raised from the dead. All right, so Peter's been on a mission trip. He's been over in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's place. He was there for over a year, the Bible says, or an extended period of time on this trip. And all of these fantastic things have happened. I mean, he raised somebody from the dead. Completely healed somebody. 
He goes down, he's called in this miraculous dream, supernatural dream takes place. He ends up down in, or up in Caesarea, and there we have this, this totally brand new thing that's happened, is these Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit and are baptized. I mean, this, this is unbelievable what's happened. God's doing something awesome. And so he goes back to Jerusalem to tell them about it, and what do they do when he gets there? They criticized him. Holy moly. Now just get your mind wrapped around that for a minute. Is God has done miraculous things. God is doing tremendous things. And the people back at church did what? Criticized it. Now, we don't want to overstate this, but we got to be careful. It's just because something doesn't happen to us, just because we weren't a part of it, that doesn't mean that God wasn't involved in it. And we tend to have what? Critical spirits. Certainly the Pharisees and many of the people, because now we're talking about, you know, a lot of these people came out of Judaism, and so, so they were very critical of Peter. What did they say? Not, man, that was awesome that that guy was healed. Man, that was unbelievable that she got raised from the dead. Man, that's awesome that there's a huge revival going on in multiple cities because of what God is doing. Man, that's unbelievable that a Roman centurion came to Christ. No, none of that. You entered the home of a Gentile and you even ate with them. You're talking about somebody getting lost in the minute details of things, right? Man, how often do people get lost in the minute details and miss what God's doing? Wow, they did. Now, that's all true. Somewhat troubling, and maybe we can learn some things from that. But I want us to focus a little bit for the next few minutes and notice, most importantly, this is what can change your life. This is what will help every single person in here. Every young person, every middle-aged person, every old person. If you can grasp what you're about to see in the scriptures right here. And it's centered around this question. How did Peter respond to their criticism? And by default, how do I respond when I'm criticized? See, by every right, Peter could have been upset. What are you talking about? I just told you I went over there. We had hundreds come to Christ. Man, I got, with the power of God as my help, we raised somebody from the dead. There was a person who was healed. You've got some kind of nerve to criticize me. But notice that was not Peter's response. You see, there's all sorts of responses whenever we're criticized. We get defensive. We get aggravated. We get angry. We get agitated, and we respond. But notice that none of these are Peter's response to their criticism. How is Peter able to not get lost in the personal feelings and the emotion and the difficulty of the moment because he realizes what's at stake. Let me ask you this. When people criticize you, sometimes they criticize you for doing good things. And that's when we really tend to get upset. We tend to take it very personal. And we begin to lash out back at them. Sometimes they criticize us for something that's really not necessarily right or wrong. It's just a preference. And sometimes they criticize us when we actually do things wrong. But here's the deal. You can't 
get lost in the person doing what the criticizing. You got to stay focused on what it is you're doing in your life. Your response to other people's criticism will not help you if you get lost and mired in their criticism. You have to focus on what it is is going on with you. If there's something that needs to happen, you respond appropriately. And we're going to look at what Peter did. But he never lashed back out at them for being critical. Even though to every single person in here, if we're honest, he had every right. They were wrong. I mean, they were absolutely wrong. They, 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 and we're going to find out how wrong they were. But notice this. Peter did not feel like he needed in that moment to make them aware that he knew they were wrong. See, that's where many of us get tripped up. We, we want to be the judge and jury. We want to tell everybody when they're wrong. They shouldn't be able to criticize so-and-so. They shouldn't be able to criticize me. There again, getting lost in something that's not what God has us in the moment. How does he respond? What does it say in verse 4? Look right here. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. He didn't lash out at them. He didn't try to justify himself. He didn't go into all of the reasons they were wrong. He didn't start pointing out who are you, what are you, blah, 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 blah. What did he do? No. He started telling them exactly what happened. And in the next verses 4 all the way down through 17, or, you know, through 17, he tells them what happened. And I'm not going to repeat the whole story, but basically what does he do? He just lays out to them what God has done. He says, look, I was in Joppa, which they knew, and he tells them while I was praying, and now he recounts the whole vision, everything that has happened. He said, look, you remember the story? Let me just repeat it very briefly. I, I, I was in a, in a trance. The sheet comes down from heaven. There's all the things that I'm not supposed to eat that I've been told my whole life to eat. Uh, an angel in the vision told me to eat them. I said, no, I ain't doing that because I'm a good Jew. The angel said, don't declare something that's unclean, that I've declared is clean. I had this vision three times immediately at that point. From there, that's whenever the people came to the door and said, there's some men here who are coming to see you. From there, this whole process works out. We end up over there in Caesarea and... I end up telling these Gentiles about this. This guy speaks in tongues and other languages, and I can, people are understanding different languages of what's going on there. These people want to get baptized. We baptize them, and I, mean, I stay there and teach them. It's unbelievable. He just recounts that whole story, okay? And then in verse 17, notice what he says. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, who was I to stand in God's way? Now, before we jump to that, that I, want to know, I want you to notice something here, okay? Is they were very critical of Peter. Understandably. They got lost in all of their personal preferences. What they had been taught their entire life. Listen, if you're a Jewish person... Raised in, this, raised in that century, and you've seen Roman Gentile people lord over you, rape people, kill people, abuse people, take everything they wanted because they had power, destroy nations, cart off families. These are not the kind of people you like. You see them in every light as those who are opposed to God. So it is, 
to give us, give them a little bit of a break. It's a big deal for somebody just to straight up here, hey, God's, God's reaching out to these people and God's, you know, going to forgive them too. And that's hard because why? You know, when we're, when we're honest, we want people to pay. See, we, we, we really, we can, we can think, we want forgiveness for us. We want all the mercy in the world for us. But we want those who did wrong to us and those who did the really bad stuff, we want them to make sure they get justice. That's how it works with people in their brain. That's the whole message of Christ, though, is that's the reason we got to forgive others because if we can't forgive others, we're not able to receive forgiveness from God. God is offering mercy and grace to us all. So they, were, they had a legitimate gripe in the way they were taught, right? But Peter starts to tell them, and I do want to say this, because this leads us to a second point that's very important. All right? And I'm going to, before I look at this question, you remember back whenever Jesus was being put on trial and we looked at that story that was happening there in, in the, the Gospels? And you remember the story of Stephen. And you remember when Stephen, they brought him before the, the Sanhedrin and all that, and he tried to tell the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin about what had happened. You remember the Bible specifically says something that they did. It says they covered their ears and they gnashed their teeth. And it was almost, the, the real translation is like they're like, ah, I'm not listening to it. Which is what happens to us sometimes physically, but more often than not. When we're presented with information that goes against what we've always thought, even if we're not literally doing it, sometimes we're doing this, aren't we? Mm, not here, not here, not here, you know, don't want to hear it, okay? How sad is that? And I want you to ask yourself this question, because notice that even though these believers in Jerusalem were a little off track, they listened to Peter. And so I want us to ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to listen and be open to changing my mind? Man, you want to know the vast majority of problems that I see in this world in relationships, my own and the ones I see around us, with myself, with politics, with business, with governments, is most people just aren't willing to listen and be open to changing their mind. And when's the last time you actually changed your mind about something or you really already got, I know you already got it figured out, right? You already know everything about everything. You know how they are. You know how they think. You know how they do. Well, well, wait a minute. Do they always have to be like that? Do they always have to think like that? Do they get a chance to be different? Do they get a chance to be better? Or am I already going to condemn them to what they've always thought in the same way that I'm condemning myself to what I've always thought? Look, to, for real meaningful change to happen, you've got to be willing to listen and open to changing your mind. Most people aren't. They're set in their ways. They, they're not going to allow any new information to help them see differently. Thankfully, thankfully, these believers in Jerusalem, even though they started off on the wrong track, criticizing Peter, miss, not, not seeing what all good things God had done, not looking at the evidence, they had already decided. They didn't need any more evidence. They'd already made up their mind. They were allowing their own pride their own prejudice, their own preferences about Gentile people 
to keep them from being open to it, but they were willing to listen to Peter. And as a result, what happens? They end up changing their mind, which is awesome. That's the way it should be. You realize that's how conflict resolution should work? Is that when we disagree, sometimes we're critical of one another. We don't listen to one another. And this happens in, it happens individually. It happens in relationships. It happens in churches. It happens in businesses. It happens in governments. But if everyone will listen, be open, and willing to change how they think somewhat. And that happened in verse 18. Look what it says right there. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. Man, how awesome would it be in life if we stopped and we listened? Even though the criticism was unfounded, even though the people who were doing the criticizing are off base, even though it had no merit, but we didn't get lost. adapt and change our minds to see some things. Because ultimately, whenever it's something significant that God is doing, and this was very significant, okay? This wasn't just your run-of-the-mill criticism. I mean, God was doing a brand new thing. He was bringing in a whole new group of people, the largest number of people ever, into the opportunity for salvation through Jesus. And these folks started out in dead opposition to it. But because they were willing to listen and they were willing to change, now they began praising God for it. And you want to tell you what would really... start a revival and cause great things to happen for God is if Christians would actually just start putting this into practice in their own marriages, listening to one another, not taking our criticisms of each other personally, which we all do, in our relationships at church, in our relationships as we engage out in the marketplace. And Man, it'd be awesome. But unfortunately... Too many of us are not open to that. Too many people today are still set in their ways and they're not interested in what God's doing. They, they have not answered the question correctly like Peter did. Peter asked them a rhetorical question, and this is a big one. He said, Am I, who was I? Who was I to stand in God's way? That's a question for you and me. Who are you? Who am I? to stand in God's way. Man, if God is trying to bring someone into redemption, who am I to stop that? If God's trying to help a person, if God's trying to heal a person, if God's trying to do this, that, who am I to stand in His way? Because of my own pride, my own prejudices, my own preferences. You realize, it wasn't even playing, Jonathan, but I know of churches who have literally split because a worship leader took a song like Victory in Jesus and played a different rhythm and a different melody to it, and other people were like, that, that's sacrilegious. We can't do that. We can't have different color carpet. That was put by Aunt so-and-so, such-and-such. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on of people who get lost in things that are so irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. 
and standing in the way of God's work among people. And look, we all have this tendency. But listen, whenever you see something that begins to cause you problems, but you know in your heart there's nothing wrong, there's nothing in the scriptures that say it's wrong, it's just a preference. You don't want to make that into some big deal. Thankfully, our church doesn't do that. It's awesome. But listen, you want to know why a lot of churches scattered throughout this country are dead? And there's four people in them today? Three people? Ten people? And whenever they throw the dirt on the last one, they'll shut the doors and sell it? It's because they were standing in God's way. Because, see, to invite new people, they may not have the same preferences you got. They may not have the same background that you have. They may come from a world where, hey, they run through the sanctuary because they're excited. I grew up in a church where that was frowned upon heavily. You didn't run in the sanctuary. Matter of fact, somebody would catch you and they may snatch you up. Well, guess what? In this day and age, that's, that ain't the, it's not the same world. And, you know, you can make it. Listen, here's what's awesome or awesome about the way people think that's not good. Okay, awesome in a bad way is you always figure out a way to make it about God. Well, this is God's holy place. We can't have running in here. That's God. Man, you better tell somebody else nonsense like that. When you start trying to speak for God, you better stop. Let God speak for himself. Don't be the one standing in God's way because you can't win. And there are literally thousands of buildings with the church on the outside of it that are vacant because the people in them, while well-intentioned, wanted their own way instead of God's way. And God's way is to invite sinners who need His grace, His love, His forgiveness into a family, not excluding them. And I am so thankful that our church has always, always received with open arms anyone who needed His love. But in our own daily lives, in our relationships. Do we sometimes stand in God's way? Is God trying to do something big in my life and I'm in the way? Look, don't think because pre- I'm a preacher that I don't do that. Look, God may be wanting to do something in my marriage and my own pride may keep me from it. My own preferences because I don't like the way this is. In my own business, in my own whatever. Same as you. We all have to ask ourselves these questions. Am I willing to say, God, Not my way, but what? Your way. You remember who said that? Man, right before he went on there. It's not weakness. He was God. To say not my way, but your way is not weakness. It doesn't make you less of a person. It makes you more of the person God wants you to be. And that's why Jesus said it. God Not my way, but your way. Right before he got on that cross, and took a major beating, 
an unbelievable humiliation for you and I to have forgiveness of our sins. As we think about communion today, it was on that cross in the very act that he didn't really want to choose, but he chose it anyway, that God ushered in salvation to humanity. Listen, as we partake of our communion today, let's don't buy into the lie in this world that you should only do what you want to do. That you should do what feels right. That you should do what's going to make you happy. See, that's the old, one of the oldest lies of the enemy. That was what the temptations of Jesus were all about. No. God works whenever we say, not my way, your way. Let's pray. Father, as we partake of this sacrament of communion today, I pray, Lord, that each of us in our hearts, as believers in your Son, Jesus, would declare again our allegiance to you, to be open to listen and learn where your Word teaches us, to surrender again to your way, and to let go of our own. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your communion, if you don't,